0: Welcome to Exaltation. This is Father David Masterson bringing you the beautiful, the good, and the true. Our scripture today is 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people turn away." As world events continue to unfold, followers of Jesus Christ know that we are living in the last days. The global pandemic chaos presents us with a unique opportunity. Now is the time to stand up and minister for God, to point people to the life-changing grace of the gospel. Our passage says in verse 1, But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. How are we to understand the phrase, the last days? One school of interpreters limits this phrase to only the days immediately preceding Christ's coming. They say that the early church lived with expectation of the second coming at any moment. Early Christianity thought in Jewish terms, and the Jews had one basic conception. They divided all time into this present age and the age to come. This present age was altogether evil, and the age to come would be the golden age of God. In between there was the Day of the Lord, a day when God would personally intervene and shatter the world in order to remake it. That Day of the Lord was to be preceded by a time of terror, when evil would gather itself for its final assault and the world would be shaken to its moral and physical foundations. So they say Paul is describing the very last days leading up to the day of the Lord in this passage. Another school of interpreters sees the phrase the last days as the whole lengthy time period between the first and second coming of Christ. This view makes sense here because Paul would not have told Timothy to avoid people he would never meet. He gives the list of 19 horrible characteristics and then says, from such people turn away. Now, rather than oppose these two schools of interpretation, it seems best to integrate them. We need to see Paul saying, Timothy constantly realize that in the last days, this whole lengthy period in which we are now living, there will be grievous seasons, seasons of ever-increasing wickedness until the very end when Christ will return. Given the acceleration of world events, it seems that we are living in this terrible time just before the return of Christ. Verse 1 says, But realize that in the last days difficult times will come. This word difficult is the Greek word meaning violent and dangerous. It's the word used to describe the two demoniacs who met Jesus among the tombs. It's also the word used by doctors to describe an ugly wound and by astrologers to describe a threatening conjunction of heavenly bodies. There is the idea of menace and danger in this word. In the last days there will come times which will menace the very existence of the Christian church and of goodness itself, a last tremendous assault of evil against the Lord. Now there are several old sacred volumes which talk about the end times. One of these is the Testament of Issachar. Issachar was the fifth son of Jacob who had twelve sons who became heads of the twelve tribes of Israel. Know ye therefore, my children, that in the last times your sons will cleave unto insatiable desire. They will leave guilelessness and draw near to malice. They will forsake the commandments of the Lord and cleave unto the devil. And leaving husbandry, they will follow after their own wicked devices. 2 Timothy chapter 3 provides a terrible picture of what a godless world looks like in the last days. Paul gives us 19 qualities of godlessness that we can expect will worsen and intensify as we come to the end of the times and the appearing of our Lord Jesus in the skies. For a comparison of these characteristics, you can turn to Romans chapter 1 verse 28 to 32. It's no accident that the first of these qualities is a life that is centered in self. The adjective used means self-loving. Love of self stems from pride, which is the basic sin from which all other sins flow. The moment a man makes his own will the center of his life, divine and human relationships are destroyed and obedience to God and love for neighbor become impossible. The essence of Christianity is not the enthronement, but the obliteration of the self. The goal is always to get the self out of the way. This is why Jesus constantly insisted that we must die to ourselves and let him live his life through us. The second characteristic is lovers of money. Men would become lovers of money. Timothy was pastor of the church at Ephesus, the greatest marketplace of the ancient world. At Ephesus, some of the major trading roads from north, east, south, and west met and poured wealth into the lap of Ephesus. Ephesus was called the treasure house of the ancient world and the vanity fair of Asia Minor. This was a town of great prosperity where a man could easily lose his soul while gaining the whole world. It is a great peril to assess our well-being by material possessions. Our Lord Jesus said that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. We must remember that it is far easier to lose our souls in prosperity than in adversity. Why is the church in the West so anemic and backslidden, so sickly and apostate? Because we have fallen into the snare of prosperity. Why is the church in Romania and Ukraine and the Czech Republic growing and expanding? Because in their adversity and difficulty they lean hard on the Lord and are alive by His grace and power. Today we have pastors in North America who preach that God wants to give us prosperity. He wants to bless us with things, possessions, houses, and jets, and money. Jesus tells us that the soul grows best in adversity, simplicity, peace, and contentment. We must remember that concentration on material things tends to push us away from God. Adversity and simplicity tend to push us towards God. The next phrase is boastful and arrogant. In these terrible days, men will be braggarts and arrogant. In Greek writings, these two words often went together, and they are both picturesque. Braggart has an interesting derivation meaning to wander about. Originally, this word was used for a wandering quack, who went about the country with medicines and spells and methods of exorcism which he claimed were panaceas for all diseases. There are still these kinds of people offering medicines and drugs which they claim will cure you. Later the word broadened to mean anyone who boasts falsely about himself or anything else. The Greeks wrote much about this word. Aristotle claimed it was bragging about good things which a man does not really possess. The Persian king Cyrus said this word applies to those who pretend that they are richer than they are or braver than they are and to those who promise to do what they cannot do for the sake of getting some gain. Socrates said that braggarts were to be found in every walk of life but most often in politics. Closely allied with the braggart and even worse is the man who is arrogant. The word is derived from two Greek words, which mean to show oneself above. This is the man who is guilty of the sin of the high heart. He is the man whom God resists, for God receives the humble, but he resists the man who is proud. The difference between the braggart and the man who is arrogant is this. The braggart is a swaggering creature. He tries to bluster his way into power and eminence. No one can possibly mistake him, but the sin of the man who is arrogant is in his heart. He may even seem to be humble, but in his secret heart there is contempt for everyone else. He nourishes an all-consuming, all-pervading pride, and in his heart there is a little altar where he bows down before himself. Can you think of any world leaders or politicians who are guilty of pride? These twin qualities of the braggart and the arrogant man inevitably result in reviling against God. This is the fifth characteristic mentioned, revilers. People who are braggarts and filled with pride revile against God. They disregard him and disobey his commandments. Some of you may remember studying the poem Invictus by the poet William Ernest Henley. Henley lived between 1849 and 1903. The text of the poem reads, Out of the night that covers me, Black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be For my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance My head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Now this poem sounds very courageous, doesn't it? Even heroic. It's filled with determination and high resolve. The problem with this poem is that nihilistic, self-centered, self-exalting, courageous resolve is not true greatness. It is true greatness perverted. The poem Invictus at its heart is a diluted claim to self-sovereignty. It has a ring of heroism about it, but it is counterfeit, It is really defiance against God. In the early part of the 20th century, Dorothy Day, a devoted Christian, responded to Henley's manifesto with the poem that she titled, Conquered. It reads this way, Out of the light that dazzles me, bright as the sun from pole to pole, I thank the God I know to be for Christ, the conqueror of my soul. Since His the sway of circumstance, I would not wince nor cry aloud. Under the rule which men call chance, my head with joy is humbly bowed. Beyond this place of sin and tears, that life with Him and His the aid, that despite the menace of the years, keeps and will keep me unafraid. I have no fear, though straight the gate, He cleared from punishment the scroll. Christ is the master of my fate. Christ is the captain of my soul. Let's continue our lesson. The next five characteristics describe people who lack such excellent qualities as submissiveness, thankfulness, holiness, affection for their families, and a forgiving attitude. In each case, they possess the very opposite qualities. Disobedient to parents. Men will be disobedient to their parents. The duty of respecting your parents is a solemn, holy duty. In the end times, children will be disobedient and disrespectful to their own parents. Ungrateful. Men will be thankless and ungrateful. We owe an enormous debt of gratitude to God for the many incredible gifts he has given to us. In the last times, people will refuse to recognize the debt they owe both to God and to their fellow man. Ingratitude is one of the worst sins of all, my friends. How many families celebrate Thanksgiving meal without even a mention of God or the enormous gratitude we owe to him? Unholy. Men will refuse to recognize even the ultimate decencies of life. The Greek word for unholy means to offend against the common decencies of human life. The Greek word is anosios, which means to offend against the unwritten laws which are part and parcel of the essence of a normal life. To the Greek, it was anosios, to refuse to bury the dead. It was anosios for a brother to marry a sister or for a son to marry his mother. Indecent, dishonorable. The man who is unholy, anosios, offends against the fundamental decencies of life. He is mastered by his lower passions, his animalistic urges, and gratifies them in the most shameful ways. This word is used of the man who has exhausted the normal pleasures of life and seeks his thrills in abnormal pleasures. Dear friends, this is upon us today. We are living in a time of disgusting and outrageously immoral practice of pedophilia, abnormal, debauched using of children for sexual pleasure, just as in the days of the Canaanites and the early pagans. In verse 3, we find the characteristic unloving. Men will be without human affection. This word is used especially of family love, the love of parent for child, the love of child for parent. Without human affection, without a strong nuclear family bond, the family cannot exist. In the terrible times that Paul is describing, men will be so set on themselves and so disordered in their desires that even the closest ties of parent and child will mean nothing to them. Irreconcilable. Men will be implacable in their hatred and irreconcilable with others. This word means a hatred so bitter that he will never again be friends with his enemy. It also means that a man is so dishonorable that he breaks the terms of the agreements that he makes with others. His hatred has overcome him. In either case, the word describes a certain harshness of mind which separates a man from his fellow man in unrelenting bitterness. It perpetuates differences rather than seeking the common good. This is one of the worst sins someone can commit. Hatred of the good takes away conscience, takes away judgment, takes away rationality, and allows people to justify things that are illegal in order to reach their goal. This is exactly what is happening in our world today. This is what happens when hatred controls our thinking and behavior. What is the Christian response to all of this? While we are tempted to match violence with violence, The better alternative is to hear again the voice of our blessed Lord Jesus from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is best to have extreme pity on leaders who act unwisely to follow their own misguided desires and who are deranged, have lost all rationality and civility in public discourse. They have stopped working together for the common good of humanity. The next phrase is malicious gossips. In these terrible last days, men will be slanderers. The Greek for slanderer is diabolos, which is precisely the English word for devil. The devil is the greatest slanderer. There is a sense in which slander is the most cruel of all sins. You can take away a man's possessions or his home, But if his good name is slandered, irreparable damage has been done. Spreading an evil and untrue report is a grievous sin. Without self-control. In these last days, men will be ungovernable in their desires. When we indulge in a desire without restraint, we reach a stage when we become a slave to that desire or habit. This is the inevitable path of ruin, for no man can master anything unless he first masters himself. The next characteristic is brutal. Men will be savage in these terrible last days. The word refers to a wild beast who savagely rips apart his prey. This is an attitude of mind that has neither sensitiveness nor sympathy for others. It is tearing into others without any respect of feeling or compassion. We see this in many countries where people are beheading other people, killing Christians around the world just because they belong to Jesus Christ. Haters of good. In these terrible last days, men will come to have no love for good things or good people. There have always been cycles of bad times, but the breakdown in our current world culture is so terrible that there is no longer any appreciation for the good. Some scholars believe that we have gone over the cliff and that there is no rebuilding of the noble and good and beautiful that was previous a part of Western civilization. Treacherous is the next quality, The Greek word means a traitor. We must remember that this was written just at the beginning of the years of persecution when it was becoming a crime to be a Christian. At this particular time in the first century, there was the existence of informers. Things were so bad that Tacitus, the Roman historian, could say he who had no foe was betrayed by his own friend. There were those who would revenge themselves on an enemy by informing against him to the authorities. Reckless. Men would be headlong in words and action. The word means to be swept away by passion and impulse to such an extent that one is unable to think sensibly. Reason is cast aside for pure emotion and feeling. Far more harm is done from want of thought than almost anything else. Many, many times we would be saved from hurting ourselves and from wounding and injuring others if we would only stop to think before we act. The passions are to be put down and replaced with virtues. We must be controlled by the Holy Spirit and not by our lower impulses. Conceited is the next characteristic. Men will be inflated with conceit. This word is the equivalent of what we say in English, swelled-headed. They will be inflated with a sense of their own importance. The primary virtues of the Lord Jesus are meekness and humility. Meekness is strength under control, humility is a lowly estimate of oneself and constant submission to God. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Honestly, I can't think of a more accurate description of our current degenerate society. People are seeking after pleasure and love pleasure rather than loving God and the good and true that belong to a relationship with God. We have people who care nothing of God or salvation or the church or their eternal destiny, but everything about their own pleasures, their own debauched desires, their own disordered longings. They worship the self rather than worshiping the true and living God. The final characteristic in this list of 19 is found in verse 5, holding to a form of godliness but denying its power. This is the most insidious of the list. Paul is describing the false teachers and false pastors in the Christian church. The final condemnation of these people is that they retain the outward form of religion but deny its power. That is to say that they go through all the correct movements and maintain all the external forms of religion, but they know nothing of Christianity as a dynamic power, as the power of the Holy Spirit which transforms and changes the lives of men and women who believe in Jesus. True religion is worth nothing unless it dramatically changes our lives. True religion is a dynamic power which converts and transforms our whole being. True religion is the fullness of the Holy Spirit pulsing through a man's heart, constantly renewing him. St. Gregory Palamas, a wise pastor and early church father, says that we can be clay in God's hands. We can be recreated in the most sublime way. God's inner grace translates us to a better state and illumines us with the ineffable light, thus perfecting our inner being. The day will break and the morning star will rise in our hearts and then the true man will go out to his work ascending in the light, the road that leads to the eternal mountains. Brothers and sisters in Christ, in these last days hold fast to the faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, trust in Him, depend upon Him, and He will hold you up in these difficult times. For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory, both now and forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to the program Exaltation. I'm Father David Masterson with God Debt Ministries. You may reach us on the web at gaudetministries.org. That's G-A-U-D-E-T-E, ministries.org. This gospel outreach is entirely listener-supported. Please help us proclaim the gospel on the radio to a needy world. Your gift, large or small, is gratefully appreciated. Until next time, may God richly bless you with this word of encouragement from the prophet Isaiah. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, they will run and not get tired, they will walk and not faint.